You are tuned to the Folk Music Notebook, streaming folk songs 24-7. Welcome back to Traditions. I'm Ron Alesco, and I am so excited to have our next guest with us today. She is someone whose music has been part of my life since I was in high school. I remember hearing uh, Seductive Reasoning. It was my uh, my senior year in high school, and I was just I fell in love with the music, the the, the harmonies, and uh, it, I kind of got into it because I was a big Paul Simon fan, and uh, that's where I first heard them. Um, our guest is uh, a member of that illustrious duo, and also probably best known for her work with all three sisters is as the Roaches. Um, she's a local woman from Park Ridge, New Jersey, and she has a brand new book and album that has just been released called Can You See That Sun? And I'm so honored to have with us today, Terry Roach. Terry, it's so good to see you. How you doing? Well, thank you, Ron, first of all, for having me on and also for that wonderful introduction that you just gave me. Uh, doing well. I'm really enjoying I'd say basking in the attention that the book is creating, you know, from all sorts of different places and unexpected comments from people, you know. It, it's just such a, it, well, the folks at home, obviously this is radio, you can't see the book, but it's a, 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 a kind of a scrapbook of the early years of, of Maggie and, and Terry Roach and, uh, I, I, and of course it comes with a digital album of, of songs that were never heard before, some unreleased material and some live recordings. And I think that was when you found these recordings, that's what kind of started this whole project. Yes. What happened was someone, uh, on Facebook, a fellow named Bill Winans, I think that's how he pronounces his name, sent me a recording of me and Maggie in a private message, a live recording uh, from a show that we did in um, Albany, a live recording of, of the song Malachy's. And he said that he was at his friend's studio and his friend, Pat Tessitore, had recorded us when we played in Albany in front of an audience there. Um, and he had two full shows, like two hmm. full 90 minute shows. And he, and so Bill was contacting me and said, would you like to have these? You know, so I, I wrote back and said, I'd love to, because I didn't have any recordings, live recordings of me and Maggie, except for previously Years ago, someone named Doug Sklar, who's out in California, he sent uh, some live recordings of us from 1973, 1974 in uh, San Diego. So I had those, and now I had these. And, um, you know, it was really amazing to listen back to all these things because of the fact that I hadn't heard them, I didn't have any myself of these mm -hmm. recordings. And so it, it really 
transported me right back to the experience of it just being the two of us. And I started to think about what we actually did, where we traveled all over the country. I would have been in high school, you know, in uh, my senior year, and we worked out with the high school where I could go out on tour instead of go to school, but I did all my homework and I took all the exams and wrote all the term papers, you know, wow. sent them in. Um, and it was just a, an unusual thing that we did. And I realized in hearing the songs, it just transported me back to the experience of traveling around the country together by ourselves, we had uh, a week in each college, like they, it was an outfit out of New York, Campus Directions, that had this, um, this thing called the coffee house, the college coffee house circuit, 1970. So there's no internet, there's no YouTube, there's nobody in Idaho that's really knows anybody in New Jersey, you know, so, so here we are showing up for a week. And the schools all had like in their student union, there would be like a coffee house, they were imitating like the bitter end and the troubadour and they because, you know, 1970, the 60s had been the decade of folk music in coffee houses. So they'd have these little, uh, makeshift coffee houses in the student union. And sometimes we'd stay in a motel. Sometimes they'd put us up in one of the dorms, you know? And I remember when we were down South, I think it might've been Louisiana where we were playing in a Baptist college and they had a curfew. So we had to be in to the dorm by a certain time. And they also, that school, you know, this was the publicity picture that the, you know, that the um, coffeehouse circuit sent out, um, which is now, of course, the cover of the book. And that school wrote back to them and said, could you please send a different publicity picture? Because this looks like they're ladies of the night. <laughs> You're kidding. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That, that. That's the last thing I would think of when I look at this. I mean, you look like two teenage girls, but you know, nothing, <laughs> nothing provocative about that. I, I think yeah. it speaks to the, to the different time period too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And also we were not, um, we had never traveled before at anywhere. So the whole thing of the lower 48, you know, was completely new to us. We didn't really know the difference between Iowa and Idaho. And we didn't know where things were, but we were sent to these places. And, uh, you know, we showed up there and... A great learning experience. Well, you know, why don't we listen to one of the cuts? In fact, this is the one that uh, kicks off the entire uh, recording that comes with the, the book. It's again called, Can You See That Sun? Uh, it's a song called Apostrophe to the Wind, and it was recorded in, in 1975 in, in Wisconsin, I believe? Yes, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh -huh. uh, could you tell us a little bit about the song? This is one of Maggie's, right? Yeah, this was one of Maggie's songs that she wrote when she was a teenager. 
um, on this particular cut, I'm singing and playing the guitar. And that was unusual. This is the only one I can think of where only I was playing by myself. But Maggie did write the song. And the one thing to notice about this uh, album is that with the exception of the last final song on the record, which is Blabbermouth, with the exception of that song, this album is in alphabetical order, the sequence of the album. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> right? How clever. Now, now, the thing is, it's not really clever. This has to do with Dropbox and their algorithm. Because as we were making the record, we were going back and forth. Tom Milioto, who was restoring all of these and you know mastering them for uh, the project, we had lots of back and forth. And we always used Dropbox to, to send things. And so I sent it to someone else at some point, And that person remarked, what a great sequence. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. And, I thought, I, I'm, and Tom and I, we couldn't figure out how to get it to not be alphabetical on Dropbox because Dropbox. Right. Oh, I, I never realized that. Well, let's take a listen now. This is Apostrophe to the Wind, Maggie and Terry Roach. <laughs> Was Terry and Maggie Roach, 1975, Eau Claire, Wisconsin performance. It's part of a new project called Can You See That Sun, which is a, a book 
and a uh, digital release. I, Terry, I, I don't believe it's a CD, right? You're just uh, digitally releasing it with the uh, album, with the book? Right. It's a, it's a book um, that has, uh, it, well, the idea with the book originally was that people were advising me, oh, you should make a vinyl, you know, because vinyl is very popular now. You should make vinyl or, or a CD. And I started to think about myself and how I like to listen to um, music. And I like to read the lyrics and listen at the same time. So in this book, so I thought, how about a book where you present the lyrics in large enough print? And then I got this idea of doing a drawing around the border of each lyric to sort of present it with dignity and say, here's apostrophe to the wind. And then Michael Tannen, uh, who worked with me on this project, it was his idea. He said, maybe you could have a QR code right on that lyric for just that song. Mm -hmm. And then that was, a. I had a wonderful team of people that helped figure out how to do that. And so this release is kind of an unusual format in that way, in that, you know, you can open to a song, you can read the lyrics, and when you become curious about, well, what does it sound like? Well, right there on your page, yeah. <laughs> you uh, can go to that. Yeah. It's very innovative. Just just like your music was. I mean, back in the in the 70s when when you and, and Maggie were performing and then later with the Roaches, uh, I, I always was struck by the, the unique sound. I mean, I think it's because maybe it's a sibling thing that there's that harmonies that come together. But as I go through this book, and, and for those of you at home who can't see it, it's, it's really a, a, a scrapbook of photographs and newspaper clippings. And again, Terry, I, I admire your honesty because one of the first reviews you, you posted here uh, was when you played at the Union Coffee House. And I, I guess this was probably around 1970, but it wasn't exactly uh, an overflowing with uh, praise for, for your performances. So, uh, uh, but also again, going through this, I see it was a photo of uh, a performance you gave in Creskill, which is not too far from here. You know, you, you're Bergen County and born and, and raised. Um, how did, how, let's go back in time a bit. I know your mother was a poet. Um, was it a musical family? It had to be of some sort, right? Well, no, but just to back up a little bit. Sure. We were not born and raised in Bergen County. Oh. I, I was born in Manhattan. Um, Maggie was born in Detroit. And, uh, you know, we all were in Park Ridge in Bergen County, New Jersey for high school. Gotcha. You know, those high school years, and I think for Suz and our brother Dave, they were also in grammar school there. So maybe we all were like seventh and eighth grade and then into high school. So, you know, you're sort of, you've, you've become a person by then. So when people would ask us, where are you from? We'd say New Jersey. <laughs> But, you know, so, but before that, we were in Queens, and then we were in Westchester. So I hear from people who say, why do you always say you're from New Jersey? Because you were from Westchester. 
<laughs> well, we're still going to claim you, so okay. okay. I'm happy to be. I love New Jersey. Uh, uh, well, well, again, the, 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 back to these early days. Were you, were you singing before you came to Park Ridge, or I guess you kind of grew up probably towards the tail end of the folk revival? But obviously, you have a very folk sound. Were you influenced by what was going no. on? No? no. What happened? Not really, because well, first of all, our parents were. Our mother played the piano by ear, you know, and that was it. There was no, um, my father was tone deaf, but they had been in the theater in Buffalo, New York, where they grew up. And so, you know, so there was this awareness of theater and, and they were both in the advertising business. My father did commercials for Chrysler radio, radio commercials. So we had, you know, been in studios as little kids, like he would sometimes take us, one of us or two or three to work with him. And we would, so we got, like, I remember one time getting to see Perry Como recording in, um, you know, we were in my dad's place where he was doing his commercial and somebody came in and said, come on, come, come here. I want you to see this. And we went in and I remember watching Perry Como in front of an orchestra and, you know, recording live. And, you know, I must've been maybe like seven or eight years old. So I didn't know anything about music or recording, but there was like these moments of seeing something like that, you know, <laughs> Right. Oh, that that sticks with you, obviously. Well, uh, we we talked. Uh, you were talking before about uh, when you and Maggie went on on the on the road. What led to that? I mean, you know, two high school girls. Uh, you know, what okay. deciding on on a career in music was that where it uh, it came from? No, no, no. So, you, do you remember this? Folk guitar with Laura Weber. I yes, I've heard. I I I've never played guitar, but I have heard of her. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this was my parents gave Maggie a, a little nylon string guitar for Christmas in 1964. So of course, you know, the Beatles. Everybody wanted to suddenly play guitar. We didn't have any music lessons or anything in the house. But this show, Laura Weber's show, it was coming on PBS in that January. So now we have this one guitar in the house and Maggie and my mother and I, we took turns. We watched the show, we sent away for the book and we, every, every week she would um, teach a song, you know, like here's one the drunken sailor okay. <laughs> right? right and she would give you a strum and a couple chords so and then so we would each we would each take turns making the chord and doing the strum so i was 11 when that happened and maggie immediately started writing her own songs you know and so um Plus, we had uh, our parents were Democrats, and the town was a Republican town, pretty much. The Democrats didn't win, you know, ever. But so 
they had a friend who was very active in the Park Ridge Democratic uh, Club. And he heard us singing in the be in the bedroom. And he suggested that we come and sing at the VFW Hall for the dinner dance for the local candidates in Park Ridge that were running for council. So our father took the midnight special from one of the songs we learned, and he wrote words for these candidates. Wow. And that was our very first performance was, was at the dinner dance. And um, I remember singing, Can You See That Sun? And being a little nervous about, you know, the high note in it, whether I was gonna crack on the high note. So there we were, you know, these these little kids get up and sing at the dinner dance about the candidates. And there was a state senator who was at the dinner dance. And then he asked if we would come on his campaign and sing for him, Ned Parsikian. And so we did. We went around the state with him. And then there's a picture in the book of me and Maggie, Senator Parsikian, and Governor Hughes, because at one point we went to some event that Governor Hughes was at, and our mother made little outfits for us, you know. <laughs> so that was the beginning of uh, performing. Huh. I, I, we had a uh, host on WFU years ago. Her name was Shirley Keller. She was from Montvale, New Jersey, and she used to say, uh, I remember seeing them when they were just little girls playing songs oh yeah. now, uh, that, that must have been fun times uh, but the decision in high school to to go on the road uh, i mean you you said you were in your your senior year i guess um maggie had just graduated that that had to be a, a tough call to make to to suddenly leave high school and go exploring across the country well that's not really how it happened because no. What happened was our, our father had a job in the city and he took the bus, the red and tan line, you know, he took the bus into New York and he had a friend that was on, used to, they used to ride the bus together, Sam Salant. And Sam was um, an artist and uh, kind of a progressive artistic kind of a person. And he suggested to our father that he, he said, you should take the girls and audition for Izzy Young's folk show on WBAI. So uh, we we went in and we auditioned for Izzy Young and Dave Van Ronk happened to be there at Izzy's Folklore Center where we went for the audition. We, we didn't know who Dave Van Ronk was at the time we didn't know any of those people from the 60s folk revival, except, of course, Bob Dylan right. and Simon and Garfunkel, you know, because we listened to the radio and that's what we had been exposed to. So Van Ronk took us around the corner to meet his wife, Terry Thal, who was his manager and also had managed Dylan, you know, and she started managing us and she, which she did for about a year and a half so she's the person who took us to audition for the coffee house circuit and she also uh, told us that paul simon was teaching a songwriting class 
at NYU. And Maggie went to the building knowing when the class was and uh, went up to him when he came into the building and introduced herself. So Terry Thal really had to do with that um, me leaving high school. It wasn't like I had a desire to be a performer at all. Maggie, I think she really had an impetus toward, you know, she was writing songs and she was, but I was working with her on the songs. And I think for me, the idea that I was getting pulled out of math class to go traveling around the state with the governor, you know, that, that I was more motivated by the adventure of going someplace. But we did work very hard on the music. You know, we were constantly rehearsing her songs. She would write a song and then we would rehearse the song and arrange the song together, you know. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't really like a conscious decision. I'm going to leave high school. I thought when they came backstage, the coffeehouse circuit people, that they came backstage and offered us a contract to go <laughs> on the road. You know, I thought, no one's going to let me do that. I mean, I've got a, a year of high school left, you know? Right. But we went down to the high school, talked to the principal, and worked out this thing where everyone thought this is a quite an opportunity and we, sh we can't really turn the opportunity down, but also you should be able to graduate from high school sure well know. credit to your high school for being that foresighted to uh to give you that opportunity um i'd like to play another song in fact why don't we play the song that you've used as the title for the book uh can you see that sun now i believe this this hasn't been released before has it no no this is its first release um on this in this book and this song was written very shortly after taking the uh, Laura Weber's TV course and learning a bunch of chords, Maggie gave me the words and I wrote the music. It was one of the rare times that I wrote with Maggie. Most of the songs uh, that we wrote when we were on the coffeehouse circuit, she wrote herself and we both arranged. But this one, I was 12 and she was 13.
across vast plains, high hills, low valleys. I'm a whistling as I ride. I pack my diary on my saddle. Take the Fast playing I hills low valley I hills low valley I'm always swing as I ride as I ride I pack my diary on my saddle take the west as my new Thank you very much. And that was Can You See That Sun, recorded in Albany, New York, back in uh, 2000. Uh, performance from Terry and Maggie Roach. And Terry is with us today to talk about this new book and the new digital album that has come out of these rare recordings. Um, uh, the, the, the song we just heard became the title for the book. What, what, why did you choose that as the title? Is there any particular reason with that? When, you know, when we got to the point where we were sort of finishing everything, because the project took about four years to make, because at first, uh, when I got these recordings, um, I called up Michael Tannen, who, and Michael had been Paul Simon's business partner in 1970 when we signed with them and we did the seductive reasoning record. And Michael had gotten in touch with me when Maggie died in 2017. He, we, Michael and I hadn't seen each other in a, in a while. We would run into each other sometimes at like a Paul Simon concert or something. But so he got in touch with me and we, we got back into having our friendship renewed and, uh, both Michael and I are very project oriented. It's like we like to have a project. And so when this, these things came in, I called Michael and I said, I think I have the project, you know, that you and I can work on together. And um, so he immediately thought audio book. And it was his idea to track down people that we had worked with, the producers of the record, people that had met us on the coffee house circuit, you know, people that had been influenced later by the record. And so we did 19 interviews um, at Tom Milioto and Lisa Brigantino's, their apartment, they're married, and, and their apartment in Brooklyn, we did all the interviews from their apartment or in person, you know, with, uh, and that went on for like a couple years and then the pandemic hit and at this point we were trying to get like audible interested we were trying to get people interested in because the interviews themselves were fascinating what happened to that person since you know 
all of us talking about life in general. But we couldn't find couple people sort of strung us along with with like, oh, I love this idea. I'm going to do this. I'm going <laughs> to do that. You know, probably sure. everyone that has worked in show business knows about. Um, I remember Loudon once referring to it as he gives good office. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. Right? It's like you go and you have this wonderful meeting, you know. And then uh, nothing happens. And then pretty soon your emails are not even being answered by that person. <clears throat> so we had a couple of those. There was one guy who had a production company in London and he wanted to know if he could hook this project into the Me Too movement. You know, so he said to me, would you mind if, if I, if, you know, if, would you mind talking about experiences you've had where you've been sexually abused by men in the music business and i said to him well if that had happened to me then michael tannen here would be in jail <laughs> oops <laughs> you know because that that was not a part of our story. Yeah, yeah, I, I noticed. I was actually looking for something like that. I mean, I, when I was reading the book, I said, wow, 17 and 18 years old, on the road by themselves for two years, there must be some juicy stories in here, but you, you, you've, you've avoided that because I guess, you know, you two obviously, you, uh, you handled situations, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, I think we did. We had each other. We became incredibly bonded. You know, like we were so like, um, bonded with the music uh you know when we were sent to muscle shoals to work with the muscle shoals rhythm section we insisted on playing our own guitars because that's all we knew how to do we didn't know how to play with a band you know it's not like we had anything against commercial music or anything we just this is what we did this is what we knew how to do and we had honed it down to this thing and there was really no room to stick other people into it you know and that and so we we had to fight for that that was i would say where where we had um an issue about being females mm -hmm. you know? i think it was previous to like lilith fair and you know in the in the next decade all of a sudden all this this avalanche of female singer songwriters you know but when we were doing it you only had Joni Mitchell and you had Carly Simon and of course um Carol King you know and Laura Nero you know so there were like four you know but then here we come with this duo that has the thing all arranged already you know yeah well, you really blazed a trail. I, I, you know, the, the album Seductive Reasoning. Um, I remember when that came out, as, as I was saying earlier uh, today. Uh, why don't we play Telephone Bill? I guess it was, it was, that was from around that time when Seductive Reasoning came out, right? Yes. Yes, it's on Seductive Reasoning, Telephone Bill. Phone bill. What 
dally dilly dally Telephone willy nilly Whoa, the way you drink, you kill me Whoa, the way you drink, you kill me Whoa, the way you drink, I know You would have killed me I always took care of my telephone bill Always took care of my telephone bill He was and is and never will He was and is and never will He was and is and never will And I followed him down like Jesus Oh, you wanna keep track You know you wanna keep track Oh, you wanna keep track Of your Terry and Maggie Roach with Telephone Bill, a performance given in 1975 in San Diego, California. It's uh, part of the new digital release for Can You See That Sun, which also comes with this incredible book. Uh, as I said before, it's really a, kind of a scrapbook, uh, your, your beautiful drawings. Uh, I was amazed when I read it here that for every set list that you made, you have two boxes of set lists where you drew all these pictures for, for them. That's a book in itself right there. <laughs> Yes, yes, the set lists, um, I would make the set lists up for the, <clears throat> I'd make three of them, one for each of us. Uh, and then actually, at one point, we had a fourth member in the group, Libby McLaren, and I would make one for her, and then also for our sound engineer. So I would do these set lists, like on the airplane, I would had all my colored pens and things. Suzy would decide which songs we were going to do and she'd give them to me in the afternoon here's the set for <clears throat> tonight in chicago and then i'd draw the the set list and try to put little sort of jokes that had happened along the way little things that would mean something to each person and then i remember it yeah you know and then yeah. i'd put them in the in the dressing room and each person would take their set list and i always kept mine so that's why i have the two boxes but suzy would leave hers on the stage and so over the years i'd hear from people who say i have 
the set list from your show in, you know, Nebraska, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm glad you saved it. And obviously, you've you've saved a lot in all these clippings and photographs. And I'm sure as you were putting this all together, it it brought back so many memories and probably, you know, times and memories that you hadn't thought of in years, I'm I'm guessing. Um, As you reflect back on it now, it, it had to be an exciting period of your life where you having any regrets or anything that you miss from from that the, those days with when oh, you and Maggie? Well, you know, of course, I miss what you probably miss also, which is being younger and stronger. <laughs> and, you know, yep, yep. Being able to pull an all-nighter and, you know, walk from one end of Manhattan to the other, you know. So <laughs> I miss the, the, this, the vibrant, you know, youth, youthful thing. Um, and I... But I must say, the music, and this is where I think music is really mysterious and magical. The songs, the sound of the songs, when I first heard them on these recordings, you know, I just like dissolved into a puddle of tears. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily because of one thing or another. It's, it's the way in which music accesses the depth of your feelings, you know, about life in general, yourself, other people, your memories, you know. And I spent a couple of days uh, basically sobbing <laughs> before, uh. before I emerged into being able to deal with the idea of putting this out into the world. And Lisa Brigantino, Lisa and her sister Lori, they have a group, a duo together, and they're a little bit younger than than we are, and, and we were an influence of theirs. So they were over at my house. We were they were working with me on a there was a tribute to the bottom line that Alan Pepper put together. Um and Lisa and Lori and Alan asked me, would you do some of your roaches arrangements? So I called Lisa and Lori and they came over and that was right around the time when I was sent these recordings. And I played one of them. I was telling them about these recordings and I played one of them for them. And Lisa immediately, she said, you have to put this out. This, you know, this should be heard, you know. And I wasn't even thinking I was going to put anything out. I just was recovering from sitting on the floor sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you shared this with all of us. And and speaking of Alan Pepper, uh, Alan and his wife Eileen listen to this show every Sunday. I always get a request from Eileen. So uh, let's say hello oh, to them. Alan. <laughs> Hi, Alan. Hi, Eileen. I love you both. And you know that, I'm sure. And wow, what what some amazing times we had at the bottom line, you know, the downtown yeah. Messiah. You know, oh, yeah. I, I remember going to that every 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 December. That was just a, a wonderful program uh, you put together. Well, you know, I, as we talk about memories, um, I want to play another song now that's uh, called The Colleges, which I believe hasn't been released before. That's right. That's right. In fact, I think you may be the first radio show to play The Colleges. All right. Well, let's take a listen to it now, and then uh, we'll be back to talk with Terry Roach. 
board camera in South Dakota So we could photograph the country of the young The peace signs and the Pabst Blue Ribbon beer signs In the windows of the colleges Though the knowledge is in the soul It seems to leak out through the holes In the arguments I am begging For the people I love to know Even though I got to leave To grow
And that was The Colleges, performed by Terry and Maggie Roach uh, from the new book and album, Can You See That Sun? Uh, it's just a delight. We're talking with Terry today about this album and, you know, looking back on all this music and, and, and the, really the book itself, all your, your friends and former employers, actually, uh, people that booked you and ex-boyfriends and, <laughs> and, and others, they really put in perspective that, that whole time period. And you know, when you were talking earlier about the, the coffee house circuit in colleges, I remember I went to college starting in 75. Um, and we had our own little coffee house in the university, too. It's quite different nowadays when you walk into that building and the, that's no longer being used as a coffee house. Uh, you're still involved in music. You're still writing and recording. You have a, a band that you play with called Afro Jersey. Um, I understand you're still writing songs. You've released a couple of solo albums in the, in the past decade or so. But the music industry certainly has changed. Um, have you been looking back on this when you're when you're doing this book and thinking can we learn anything from what you did uh, what you and maggie did and kind of blazing trails well i would say there's a few things that maybe younger people could learn uh from what we did and and that's why i think that really in a way a large part of the audience for this particular release i think are young people because these songs were written by a teenager for the most part you know and so there's that energy of you know being young and and i'm gonna write i'm gonna express myself with my guitar and my voice so what i notice now of course there's a big difference in those days in order to have a career it, as a musician in music, you had to get signed by a major label and get on the radio. You know, this has changed. You know, now people, there are all sorts of avenues, YouTube, becoming an influencer, a podcaster, <laughs> TikTok. There's all these different avenues, which has created a flooded market as well. You know, back then, you know, we were one of a handful of people that were getting signed and getting, you know, uh, having our record produced, that sort of thing. But the main thing that I hear in these particular recordings is before we were being produced, before we were being managed, really, it's the doing of the music. And that's what I hear because, you know, I teach guitar. So I, I see a lot of people who are trying to either get into the business or not. You know, some people, they just want to learn to play and they want to write songs, you know. And what I see is the importance of doing it and allowing the, the richness and substance that you're putting into it allowing that to attract attention instead of thinking in terms of getting yourself a youtube channel or <laughs> getting a manager you know and i think you know now you can go to college and you can take a class in the music business there was no such thing then you know to me that's a little bit 
the tail wagging the dog because you know when we were doing this the musicians and the artists were driving the truck you know the music business the business people they jumped on board and they they figured out how how can we monetize this you know which is a modern word i never heard that word back (laughs) then you know you know so i would say that's a big difference and it has its advantages in that you can jump onto the internet yourself you know without going through being auditioned by somebody but then the other thing is i think these contests on television i see that they seem to have created a situation in which there's a sort of type of voice that and i see like 11 year old girls imitating this type of voice Whereas I think, you know, that you have a voice inside yourself and it probably is sounds like you rather than Taylor Swift or whoever, you know, you're you're following or trying to be like. And I think so. I I think the contests, you know, I know people love them and and they're very entertaining, perhaps. But I just think that they cut into someone's confidence in themselves because they think I can't sing like the way that that person can sing. So therefore I don't have a good voice, you know? Oh, you, you summed it up right there. I, that, that's exactly how I feel about these programs. And, you know, I think that's why you and Maggie and, uh, and as the roaches, uh, why you stood out because it sounded different, and, it, and I mean that in a good way. Um, it was innovative. It was something that was not your usual factory-driven music. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and, and that's why this new album, Can can You See That Sun? It's so refreshing because it's just recordings of you and Maggie, you and your guitars and piano. Uh, mm-hmm. You had no other musicians on it. So it, it, you allowed your personalities and the, the strength of the songs and the harmony and performance. It all comes through. and. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, for recording this and coming up with this this project. Um, if our audience wants to get in touch with you, uh, what what's your website? The website is uh, terryroach.com. Excellent. Well, I, I assume the book is for sale there, and the the, the, the digital recording, and uh, and your other recordings as well. Uh, are you are you still writing? I assume, right? Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, we did a show uh, the other night here in New York at the oh, right. Winery. Yeah. And uh, I did some of a, a sprinkling of my new songs that have not been heard before. And uh, I will probably do a project next of some of those because they have the perspective of now and um, for me. And yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, I, I hope when when you, that project comes about, we can have another uh, sit down like this and talk and play some more music. Uh, are you going to be doing it? Are you going to be doing any more live shows? Uh, did, uh, I know you haven't done too many because I guess right. because of the pandemic, but getting your feet wet again at City Winery. Yeah, there's yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether anyone would come and we were very pleased to see that uh, it was sold out quite quickly. And Lisa and Lori and Tom and also Gary Dial, my partner, who's a jazz pianist, and Layla Ellison, Layla Isis, who's a dancer that was the band the the five of us or is that six maybe um that was the band and i also want to say a thank you to cliff fagan 
because he, as you probably know, he has really been such a supporter of me over the years and has, and he produced that show. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Cliff too. And also Alan Pepper, because Alan was the one that called me up and goes, Hey, you know, Terry's just written uh, this book. Would you like to see if I could get an interview for you? I said, well, absolutely. So I have to thank both Alan and Cliff for, for this. And, and of course, thank you for uh, uh, sharing such uh, wonderful memories and music with us today. And uh, I can't thank you enough. So I, uh, yes, and I really appreciate, I was so happy to hear your name come in as somebody that wanted to talk to me about this project. So thanks. Well, thank you. And uh, we're going to end now with another song, which is actually the last cut on the album. It was also the title of a book that you wrote a number of years ago. Uh, it's called Blabbermouth. Uh, and this is a recording of you and Maggie singing this uh, back in 2000. Yes. Well, the 2000 tour was a combination of the arrangements that we had done when we were teenagers, but also that was on the occasion of my first solo record. And Maggie was the biggest fan of my solo record. She really, she was the person who told me, you should put this out, you know, cause I recorded these songs in my apartment. So for that tour, um, that song Blabbermouth, which was on my first record, uh, we worked up an arrangement with the two of us, which turned out to be a real crowd pleaser because Maggie, is the opposite of a blabbermouth. And so you had the two of us singing that, you know, song together. It was very entertaining. So I, I thought that's a perfect one to put at the end of this. And it's a perfect way to end our conversation. Again, Terry, thanks for being here. And thank you for your honesty and all the great music. And uh, we look forward to more good things to come. Okay, thanks, Ron. And now here is Terry and Maggie Roach with Blabbermouth. to be the 
fingers like a sore Years go by and no one refers to it But everyone involved is rotting at the core From thinking and trying to escape it And figuring out some way to just doesn't say and tape it dreaming it will be over with someday but here comes the blabbermouth to send that thing around the grapevine last I heard it was heading south with a whole new for tuning into Folk Music Notebook. If you'd like to help keep the music flowing, our tip jar can be found at paypal.me slash folkmusicnotebook. We thank you for your support.